Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today it's time for our monthly mailbag on the Smart Money Mama Show. I'll be answering questions directly from listeners like you. Today, we're going to discuss preparing for maternity leave as a side hustler or freelancer, finding your passion project, investing for retirement as a side hustler, and so much more. For an overview of this month's questions and to download your free Design Your Passion Project workbook, head over to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 63. As one final reminder, for these mailbag episodes, we source questions from our free Mamas Talk Money community on Facebook, which we'd love to have you join, and our voicemail, where you can leave me an audio message at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail. So if you have a question you'd love to hear us tackle, head to one of those places and submit them. All right, all right. It's time to get started. Lauren, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty well. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to have you back to answer some of these questions from our audience. What do we have on the docket today? All right. Our first question is from Allie, and she asks, how can you plan maternity leave from your side hustle and or independent contractor gigs, either part-time or full-time gig work? This is a good question and something that I haven't personally had to deal with, but you have. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. So how did we deal with this as a team, Lauren? You said, take a bunch of time off. And I said, no, 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 (laughs) I want to work. And then you were right, which is what usually happens. So I think what happens often, Allie, is that you think you can work through a lot of this gig work while you're home with a new baby. You convince yourself that when the baby is sleeping or it'll only be a couple hours a day, you can knock this work out. And the reality is, as we all know, new babies are exhausting and there's so much work and you're changing as a person and you're coming into this whole new reality. So when we talk about planning it for a maternity leave for a gig worker, I think the first thing is to decide how much time you want to take off and start saving for it. Make sure you have the money to take off, I would say at least six weeks, ideally more if you can, but you want to save up for that period of time. When you're done with that, the next thing you want to do is talk to your employers or your clients about when you're due, ideally as soon as possible, and how you can switch that work off. So I have heard from freelance writers who have actually gotten a bunch of assignments ahead of time. They've had good client relationships for a while with an editor and the editor will say, okay, I'll give you two months of work that you can do before the baby comes, get some extra payments, and then just tell us when you're ready for assignments again. And then you don't lose clients. As long as you start the conversation, you do have a lot of options, but you want to make sure that you're planning and you're thinking ahead. Lauren, any other advice from not wanting to plan a long maternity leave and then trying to come back? If you have the option to take more time than you think you are going to need, do that. Plan for that. If you want to go back to work early, then you can do that and and you've already prepared for it. But chances are you're going to want more time than you think you do. Absolutely. That's a really good point of like, give yourself some buffer if you really can. And also it's a lot easier to call some of a client and say, you want to come back early, then I want to wait longer. That tends to be a harder conversation depending on who, who that client is. So that's what I definitely think about. And also remember medical costs and things like that building in, are you going to have to fill out your deductible for your health insurance plan? Make sure you have those budgeted for as well in your maternity costs. Cause sometimes People forget that they're going to owe some medical bills from delivery and things like that, and they didn't budget that in. And then to lose income at the same time as you have higher bills can be very stressful. So make sure you plan for that ahead of time. Those are really good points. 
Our next question comes from Yvette, and she asks, how do you really find your passion when you have no hobbies? Tangible ways besides asking someone else what you're good at. (laughs) Yvette, there's no... There's no easy answer to this question. There's just not. And I think that tangible ways, I think we all want a formula, right, for what is our passion and how do we figure it out? And can I take a quiz and will it tell me (laughs) what my passion is, right? It's that Googling in the middle of the night, like, tell me what my passion is. And the reason we get these kind of intangible ways of ask your friends and lean into your curiosities is because we all have to have our own journey to figure out what our passion is. And I think that we also, we've talked about this in a few different episodes this month, the fact that we have this narrative that you're going to discover your passion. It's going to be like this big flashing neon sign. Like you're going to come around the corner and be like, there it is. There's my passion. And then that's going to be what it is for the rest of your life. And that's not how it works really at all. That is not how it works for anyone. I don't think. (laughs) This is definitely not what happened to me. I started doing remote work and loved the style work, and then worked for many different kinds of people before finding Smart Money Mamas. And I was, well, we don't know if I was pregnant when I started working for you. (laughs) (laughs) Motherhood, we'll say, was not on my mind at all. And I still loved the mission. But it actually took becoming a mom to be like, no, no, this is, I I love this. And I don't want to do anything else. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think if we had like talked to Lauren three years ago and said, would you want to be working all the time on a personal finance company? You would have thought that was crazy. I would have run screaming. I think I have told Chelsea this at some point. I was like, oh, that sounds like the most boring thing like ever. And now I I am in it. (laughs) So I will try to give you the most concrete advice that I can, which is if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of hobbies, either because you've been a stay-at-home parent for a while and you've been really embedded in your kids in those early toddler years, or because you're a working mom and you just haven't had any free time to have any hobbies in years, which I think is a very real thing for a lot of us, then what you want to do is really lean into your curiosities. If there are things that seem like they interest you, try them out and get rid of the narrative in your head that like you have to find the perfect thing, that you should only commit time to your passion because you're really not going to find your passion until you start taking steps and see how things work out. The doors will open as you get there and it's okay to try something and be like, actually, I don't really enjoy this. I think I'm going to go try something else. And it's not until we start doing that work that we can find our passion. So take some time to yourself. Think about what you've done in your past that you've enjoyed, ways that you enjoy serving people and working in the missions that are important to you. And then just try to take some small steps and give yourself permission to not know the end goal right now and to just be learning about yourself. And I think you'll find it over time. Those are really good points. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that a lot of us just don't have time to do the things that (laughs) that we we just haven't done it in years. But you've literally phrased your question of how do you find it? And the only way to find it is to go experiment with it. Absolutely. This next question is so good. Shauna wants to know, do you have any tips on working on your passion project or side hustle around your kids' needs and schedules while working a full-time job? 
Mm, yeah, I think this is where we have to be real careful because there's so much hustle culture out there of like work all the time, get up early, stay up late, like burn the candle at both ends just to like get your business off the ground. And there's some reality to there are going to be hard periods of time. And you can talk to lots of different entrepreneurs who will tell you that first couple years or first year at least you're going to make some sacrifices. Um, I think it was Rosemary Groner on episode four, episode three or four, who was like, I wasn't the best mom. I wasn't the best partner in the first year of my business. And I feel that too. I don't think that's the way it has to be done, but I do think that there's some part of it, if you're trying to build a full-time business, that that sense of balance is going to tip for a little while, that it's going to face your business more than it's going to face some of the other things that will balance out over time. But for a period, it's going to be leaning one way. What I'll say with clarity being a couple years into this is I would set boundaries as early as possible because it's really hard to set them later. <laughs> it's like unraveling. And be willing to grow a little slower, to take a little bit less time if it means that you can be consistent. There are so many businesses, especially online businesses, that close like in the first six months. And they completely drain themselves out. They do the wake up at four o'clock in the morning thing for as long as they can till their partners are literally like screaming at them to please stop working. And then they just quit because in six months, especially online business, they might not have made very much money yet and they might feel like they're not there yet. And so they just kind of walk away. And so Shauna, I think if you could set, you know, two hours a week. You know, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, your partner puts the kids to bed and you get an hour, an hour and a half to work on your business, your passion project, whatever it is. And then if you have more space over time, add to it. When you can work a little extra and you feel like working a little extra, do that, but only commit to doing the two hours a week or the three hours a week. Lauren, do you have any thoughts on this? That's really good advice to, to start out slowly and then increase, especially at the beginning because you don't really know what you're doing. You're throwing like a lot of spaghetti at the wall. If you know exactly what to do and it will directly lead to more money, then have that conversation with your spouse and, and talk about doing more. If you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to figure it all out and you're learning on the go, set really strict boundaries. And then that way your life will start to like adjust around what you need to do. Yeah. And when I started Smart Money Mamas, I was still working full time. Henry was little. And so at that point, I would work after he went to bed. My kids have always been early to bed kids. And so I'd get home from work basically just in time to put them to sleep. And then I'd work for a couple hours after that. And then I'd work on the weekends when he napped. I tried to make sure that the times he was awake during the weekends I was with him because I was gone the Monday through Friday, basically. But that's when I would lean into it. The thing was that for the blog, it was a blog at the time. It was just a hobby. I didn't have plans to make it a business. It was just really a passion project. I was writing every single day. And for the first month, 45 days that I wrote every single day, it was exciting. It was new. I wanted to do it, but you do burn out. And so this is the other piece that, you know, figure out what consistency looks like and say like, okay, over the long term. I want to produce content once a week, or I want to produce content twice a week. And I might do that more at the beginning because I have more energy. But when I start to feel burnout, instead of committing myself to being seven days a week, I'm going to give myself permission to go down to once or twice a week. Because you will get people, especially if you go into any kind of online business, podcast, blog, YouTube channel, they're going to preach at you that like you can't change your publication schedule. You can't do it. It'll ruin everything. Everything will fall apart. And the reality is it won't. 
especially early on, like no one, no one's going to notice. And, and that's both a little bit discouraging and a little bit freedom creating of like, you know, it's going to be fine. But I would, yeah, I would set a reasonable schedule and then try to work around your kids. If you can work when they nap, that's great. If you can work after they go to bed, get a little bit of extra help from your partner, you know, at least a night or two a week, that's where I'd start. All right. So we have some more awesome questions to answer. But before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mama, it's 2020. If you want to run a business, you need a website. And no one makes setting up your site easier or more affordable than Bluehost. As a Smart Money Mama's listener, for less than $3 a month, you can grab your own domain name, have free access to beautiful WordPress themes that you install in just one click, and get to work building your brand. Whether you want to have a VA or freelance business, develop a podcast or blog, or simply promote your brick and mortar business, you can claim your corner of the internet today at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Bluehost. Lauren, I'm excited to hear what else we have this month. These have been good questions so far. They have. Our next question is from Amanda, and it's not about purpose-driven work, but it is a really interesting question. She asks, can you talk a little bit about donor-advised fund accounts? Are these only beneficial from a tax standpoint for really high earners? Can you designate the types of charities it gives to, or is it at the choice of the fund? Mm, I love this question. So donor-advised funds, for those who don't know, for a specific type of investment account where you can set aside money to donate to charities. And so what's really interesting about these accounts is that you could put in, let's say you got a windfall, like you won the lottery and you wanted to put a bunch of money to charity, but you didn't necessarily want to donate millions of dollars to charity all at once. You wanted to create a fund where over time you could commit regularly to causes that were important to you. So with a donor advised fund, you could move that money in there and it could grow without capital gains taxes and without any kind of like interest gains taxes. And as that money benefits from compound interest, you have even more money to give to charity over time. It's this really great vehicle. Now, what used to happen is that donor-advised funds were really great for high earners because it's tax deductible. It counts as a donation to charity in the time you put money in that donor-advised fund. So let's say you had $20,000 that you didn't want to donate to charity all at once. You could still put it in your donor-advised fund and get that tax benefit right away. Now, you wouldn't get it again when it ultimately went to charity, but you could kind of get that big slug and it would allow you to reduce your tax burden. Now, your question, is it only beneficial from a tax standpoint for really high earners? What's changed is when the tax code changed a couple of years ago and the standard deduction got higher, there are fewer people now that itemize their taxes, right? Because even interest rates on your mortgage, which is usually what caused people to itemize, most people don't pay enough interest on their mortgage to get above the standard deduction, and so they just take the standard deduction, which means if you put money in a donor-advised fund, you're not actually getting as much benefit because you're not getting any higher deduction. You're still taking the standard deduction. And so when it comes to very high earners, what gets referenced is you would have to put a lot of money in to come out of the standard deduction and really get the benefit. So it's not just for high earners, but it is a place where you have to plan a little bit more. And we think more about windfalls now with donor advised funds or 
saving up, like picking a year where you think you'd really need a tax deduction, you're going to see an increase in income and saving up and then putting it into your donor advised fund all at once. And so maybe you have, maybe you budget $2,000 a year for charity. And so you save it up for three or four years. And now you have six or eight grand to put in, which might really help your tax. It's a little bit complicated. Lauren, any questions? The one thing I'm thinking is if you, if you start a donor advised fund, one of the things that you said was if you didn't want to, you know, donate all that money right away, are there people or other situations where they'd want to take it out? And is that even a possibility? So you can't take it out without penalties. It really has to be in there. Once it's donated, it's it's meant to go to charity. The reason people want, there's the deduction, why people wait is that they want to see growth in the assets, right? They want to let it compound and really make a bigger impact. And a lot of people who are professionals in the nonprofit space say that it's better to give consistently than to give in one fell swoop. It really helps with budget planning for these nonprofit organizations. And so if you could set money aside to give $1,000 a year instead of $10,000 all at once, it's a really big benefit. So getting that money out is you really have to be committed to putting it into charity. The one other thing to think about, and so this is actually something that came up with Jeremiah and I, is that when you transfer that money in, there's no capital gains tax. And so if you get an inheritance that had a really low, so let's say, so for us, a family member gifted us Johnson & Johnson stock as a wedding present. It was really sweet. Her deceased spouse worked at Johnson & Johnson years and years ago. And so the cost basis, which means the what you calculate the profit off of, on Johnson & Johnson stock was like $1.15. And now the stock is over $100, right? So we were going to pay capital gains tax on basically the entire thing. So we were going to lose like 15% of it on like the entire thing, which isn't terrible. I'm happy to pay capital gains tax, except if we took that money and we transferred it into our family donor advised fund, charity got all of that money without taking the 15%. And so for us, we decided instead of taking money that we earned that year to give to charity, we instead transferred stock that had huge capital gains burden and then invested new money on the rest. And so that's something else you can think about. If you have a piece of stock or you get an inheritance where the the cost basis is really low and you want to do some tax planning and and avoid some capital gains tax, transferring it into donor advised fund is a really great system there as well. And then you're not even worried as much about the income tax deduction because you're already saving from capital gains tax. That is really awesome. Every time I do this, I learn something new. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) The last question Amanda asked though, and I love that she asked this question because I think it's a miscommunication is she said, can you designate the types of charities that your donor advised fund gives to, or is it at the choice of the fund? So here's what's really cool, Amanda. The fund is yours. And so you are creating your own investment fund. You actually even get to name it and it gets reported. So it can be like, so like we have like the Brennan family donor advised fund. We can pick where that goes to. It can go to any nonprofit. Most of them, so like Fidelity, who is who we use for our donor advised fund, has really low fees. And you just go in when you're ready to make a donation and you search for the name of the charity select how much you want to send. It can be as little as like $50 or $100. There's no like cap. And they will sell part of your your investment portfolio to send that money off to whoever you want to donate money to. So it's a really great 
option. And so like, so we have the New England Aquarium is a place that my husband loves to give to every single year. They do a ton of ocean conservation work, but we wait, instead of timing it at a certain time each year, we wait until they're doing a matching program. So the organization will reach out to us and say, hey, some big donor says they'll double any donations that come in in the next week. And so then we'll donate then from our donor advised fund. It happens immediately. And then we know it's making the most impact at the aquarium, which is which is really cool. So yeah, you get to choose wherever you want that money to go. It's also a really interesting thing to do for generational wealth. We've totally gone off track on donor advised funds because I think they're so cool. We probably should have just made this its own solo, solo episode. But it's a really cool way for generational impact. And so we can leave the donor advised fund to our kids because it's a family fund when we pass away. And if the money's been growing in there for a long time, we continue to add to it. We can set family terms on how we want that money to be donated to charity. And because it's already in a donor advised fund, the boys, hopefully they wouldn't do this anyway, but they can't like drain it and buy a fancy car. They have to contribute it to charity. And the hope for us is that we teach them for them to want to keep contributing it to it, leave it to their kids and have this really long lasting generational impact. So Amanda, if this is something you have the capacity to do, it's a really, really cool option. And you do have a lot of flexibility in when you donate and who you donate to. You guys can't see her face, but she said she was excited. She's totally geeking out about this. <laughs> <laughs> They're so fun. It really is. I had no idea that this is a thing. I'm super excited now. We have... Another great question from Alice, and she asks, is it worth opening your own Roth or other fund if you just do side hustles or work very part-time? My passion right now is being mostly home with my toddler son, but I love to get out there and work a bit to contribute more. I work several side jobs like the census right now, one day a week at a kid's consignment, and I'm a caregiver for my autistic nephew. We have a 403B and a Roth in my husband's name. Awesome, Alice. This is great. Let's talk about retirement for side hustles. I love that you are focused on being home with your kid right now, Alice, but also doing little side jobs and picking up work and figuring out what you want to do. I think that's really awesome. I think it's absolutely worth it to open a Roth in your own name. Now, if you're not maxing out your husband's Roth yet, you could technically just contribute to his as a family and simplify accounts. But I think it'd be really amazing for you to have your own retirement account that you're investing in while you're a stay-at-home parent and building your own retirement future. Because even if you are maxing out your Roth, this is more investment assets for your family that you can set aside. Because now instead of the $6,000 max on your husband's account, you guys can do $12,000 as a family as long as you're earning earning that money yourself. And so if you can contribute, absolutely. And start as early as possible. Set some goals on what you want to see in your own retirement account and start using your side hustle for that. I think that's a really, really great goal. I think it's pretty amazing, Alice, that you're doing all of these things at the same time. This is why moms are amazing. You're caring for your nephew, you have a toddler, you've got all these side hustles. That's so impressive. And it would be amazing to see you putting your own money in your own retirement account too. Lauren, this is why I like these episodes so much is we get to see these little windows into our listeners' lives and see what they're up to because it's always really amazing. It really is. Even if they're at the beginning of their journeys, right? They're like making big steps and that's really cool to see. Between 
the guests that we interview on the podcast and like our awesome listeners, I always leave these things feeling like, man, I really gotta get, I gotta get it together. I got, I got more things I want to do now. Like, it's so inspiring. <laughs> You're lighting a fire under the team, guys. Mm-hmm. All right. As I mentioned at the top of the show, please feel free to send me your questions anytime via our voicemail at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail on our social media channels or in our Mamas Talk Money free Facebook group. I'm always here and listening and excited to hear about your life and your questions. My friend, thank you again for listening to the Smart Money Mama show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends. I truly appreciate it. Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time. <laughs>